Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. Amen. Well, our message tonight is called Trust Your God. Not to be confused with the commonly used trust your gut. And the big idea, the thing to remember, the thing to take away, or that I'm praying we all take away, is that trust in God is choosing faithfulness to Him no matter what. So we're going to break down that idea as we go, don't worry. Um, Our primary passage of text is from Numbers 20. What we're going to do is we're going to read that together. Then we are going to look at a few different things. We're going to look first at our culture and trust. So what does living in Australia in 2023 do to our trust? Then secondly, we're going to look at scripture and trust. What does the Bible say about trust? Then we're going to look at humans and trust. So what's our nature when it comes to trust? Then we're going to ask two questions. Why can we trust God and how can we trust God? And at the end, there'll be an invitation to you, if you have not yet, to start the process of trusting God if you choose to by choosing life, following Him. How does that sound? Is that okay? All right, great. Let's take a look at our passage of Scripture. What is happening here in this story is that God's chosen people, the Israelites, they have been wandering around the wilderness on their journey to the promised land. And now the arrangement here is that God has miraculously delivered his people from slavery in Egypt and he is leading them to their destiny, to a land where they will flourish. And that was his end of the deal. And their end of the deal is just to trust him and obey him with full confidence. But their inability to keep up their end of the deal is why this journey that should have taken approximately 11 days actually took 40 years, just wandering around. And so we pick up the story in the last year of their wandering, and it's been tough times, but God has proved himself incredibly faithful, and they're pulling up at a desert. Moses is their leader. He is the one that God used to part the Red Sea, and Aaron is his brother. He's also like a leader in the community, and they're starting to get a bit old now. So let's read from uh, Numbers 20, verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness, that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grains or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. And so we see the propensity of the Israelites, read between the lines, the propensity of all of us, to forget the proven goodness of God every time we get into a sticky situation. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? 
he's frustrated. <laughs> then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honour me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I will give them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarrelled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. Because you did not trust in me enough. Now, this is not getting to the promised land is a very hefty consequence. Moses got so close. This is the 39th year. He has led the people this whole time with one goal, making it to the promised land, and then one moment of unfaithfulness from a lack of trust, and he misses seeing the fulfilment of the promise. Now, I'm not saying that to scare anyone. Don't worry. This is a story that we can learn from, a true story we can learn from, but it's not a predictor of what's going to happen to you if you're unfaithful um, at one point in your life. But it was a serious situation because trusting God is an essential part of the Christian life of faith. If you've spent any time around Christians, you have possibly heard the phrase, you just need to trust God, like ad nauseum. And that's not a bad thing. There are fewer statements that are more true, but we do say it a lot. And sometimes we can be left wondering, but how do we do that? What does it actually look like? What does it mean to trust God in the context of our day in, day out lives? I think sometimes as followers of Jesus, we can subconsciously think that trust in God is like this like level achieved or this automatic download to us when we become a Christian. And then from that point on, the choice is just to like flick it on or off like a light switch. As if I could be perhaps one day extremely anxious about something and very worried, but then just remember, oh yes, trust in God. Or here, trust in God or read it in my Bible and then just flick a switch and move to the peaceful and calm state of not worrying. Now I'm sure that's possible, Um, It hasn't particularly been my experience in life. I'm not sure about you. You people, you're a bit quiet, so maybe you've been better at that than me. But the older I get, the more I realise I think I've been more shaped by my cultural context more than I know, uh, which could possibly mean that you have too. So let's, before we break down the scripture, let's take a look at the implications of our culture on how we trust. Our culture and trust. We are now living in what has been called the age of the decline of trust in authority. Now, that's not my diagnosis and those aren't my words, but I can see that happening and I'm sure you can see it happening all around us as well. An Australian communications firm did some research on the trust levels of us Aussies in 2022 and found that there have been sharp declines in trust across all Australian institutions. Their report reads, Australia's trust bubble has burst. And statistically, we've lost trust in the government, in business, in NGOs, in the media, in social media, many industries, including telecommunications, manufacturing, fashion, retail. According to the firm, the majority of Australians believe that journalists, government leaders are actively trying to mislead them. 73% of us are worried about false information or being conned by fake news. And one of the big takeaways is that distrust is society's default. A lot of people's fears when we read about things like AI have to do with not being able to know who and what to trust. And, and I see this in my own approach to the world. I listen to a lot of like teaching and like podcasts about faith in God. I've noticed in myself, if someone says to me, hey, Div, you should check out this message, and it's by somebody that I don't already know and trust, they probably have about five minutes within which to win me over. And if they don't, I'm out. 
And the fastest way that they can win me over is by saying something that I already believe. That is what I subconsciously consider to be trustworthy. Someone who agrees with my pre-existing beliefs. Anybody else similar? We're slow to trust people we don't already agree with. Look, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's probably a bit of both. But it's definitely the reality of life in this oversaturated content world. Just yesterday, my sister Sammy and I were discussing how many steps we should walk each day for health and fitness, because she had received this email from a gym with a bunch of health suggestions, and it had said, you need to walk 10,000 steps per day. But I have recently consulted with a nutritionist who told me, oh, that 10,000 steps a day thing was a marketing ploy that gained traction in the world. It's not actually legitimate. It's more like 7,000 steps. So you have two credible and authoritative sources. Like, who do you believe? makes it difficult to trust. But I'm personally going to go with the nutritionist and save myself the 3,000 steps a day. I don't know about Sammy. My friends who have babies often tell me about how, uh, like, how often they hear directly contradictory perspectives on how to raise your child well that are both backed up with scientific evidence and expertise. So what's my point? This is the cultural air that we breathe. And I am generalising, so this might not be you as an individual, but as people living in the Western world in 2023, there is so much opinion, so much expertise on every single little thing that it is difficult to know what to trust and who to believe. On top of that, many of us have had these experiences where a parent, a family member, maybe someone we were in a relationship with, someone we are in a relationship with, has broken our trust and it scarred us. Having our trust broken seems to be a pretty normal part of life. So we live in the context of all of that. That's, come, that's happening all around us. And then we come to church and we tell each other, hey, just trust God. Trust his word. All right, cool. Easy. Done. Except it's not really, right? Towards the end of last year, Pastor Lauren and I did a question and response in young adults. And one of the questions has stuck with me over the holidays. Someone said, what does it really mean to trust God and to be okay with not being in control? Which I think is such a great question and a helpful thing for us to look at at the onset of 2024 with all the hope and promise of a new year and perhaps a clean slate and a fresh start. So how do we trust God in the age of distrust? What does it look like to put our faith and our hope in Him when often the culture laughs at that idea and when often deep down we don't actually know how to believe what we believe? So we'll take it to the ultimate authority and look at what the Bible says. Scripture and trust. The Bible teaches us that trust is kind of the fabric that undergirds the whole Christian worldview. Through the biblical narrative, we learn that the reason the world is broken and corrupted and we are broken and corrupted is because of sin. It started with Adam and Eve, now it's in all of us. It tracks back to the Garden of Eden where they ate the one fruit that God told them not to eat. So was this disobedience? Yes. Was this rebellion? Yes. Did the disobedience and rebellion stem from a lack of trust in God? Absolutely. Adam and Eve suspected that if they really truly did things God's way, that he might hold out on them. Eating the fruit wasn't this mindless compulsion just because they were bad. It was them them choosing to trust themselves over God. Choosing the forbidden fruit in an attempt to get a full, abundant and happy life apart from him. And that's really what sin is. 
I love how the Jesus Storybook Bible puts this. Um, this is a fantastic Bible for kids, by the way, but it, I, I love it. I actually read mine all the time. This is what it says. I mean it, really do. Um, now God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me. And then death and sadness and tears will come. You see, God knew that if they ate the fruit, they would think that they didn't need Him and they would try to make themselves happy without Him. But God knew that there was no such thing as happiness without Him and life without Him wouldn't be a life at all. So sin was born from a lack of trust in God. But God, being the loving Father that He is, He wasn't content to leave His children that He loves in our state of sin, and that's why He sent Jesus. That is why now we, you and I, we are invited to place all of our trust in the perfect life of Jesus, the true teachings of Jesus, the death in our place of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the fact that we get to partner with Jesus in His redemption whilst we're here on earth, and ultimately the hope that Jesus will one day return and redeem the world for good. So trust undergirds everything. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes, trusts in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I just put that trust in there. Sorry, I'm not trying to edit the Bible. We have to trust him. And so I've kind of just talked through how that's a biblical theme, but it's not just a theme, it is a repeated command. We'll just go through a few of them. Psalm 9 verse 10, those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 62, 7 to 8, my salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Psalm 56, 3 to 4, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose words I pray, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Psalm 112, 7, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Psalm 32, 10, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in Him. Isaiah 26, 3-4, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord the Lord Himself is the rock eternal. Proverbs 3, 5-6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. So, statistically, we are rapidly losing, losing trust and yet the Bible teaches us that we must trust in God. Where does that leave us? We'll just take a look at humans and our trust patterns. There is this narrative in the culture that has some traction about not being able to trust anyone but yourself. You've maybe kind of seen this on social media. Can't trust people, put your faith in yourself alone, etc., etc. But it breaks down quite quickly because for all of my commentary just before on our diminishing trust in authority, uh, which I do stand by, at the very same time, humans are deeply trusting beings. We all trust in many things every day. To be human is to trust. I'll give you an example. Uh, we trust our cars. If you had no trust in your car, you, most of us, depending on your car perhaps. <laughs> if you had no trust in your car, you would never have climbed into it to come to church tonight because the risk would have been too great. If you had a weak trust in your car, maybe you would have driven here hyper-cautiously, kind of praying under your breath that it wouldn't break down. And if you had a strong trust in your car, which is most of us, you would have jumped in and driven down here without a second thought. We all live by trust. 
as James K.A. Smith said, the question isn't whether you're going to believe, but who. It's not merely about what to believe, but who to entrust yourself to. Do you really want to trust yourself? Do we really think humanity is our best bet? Do we really think we are the answer to our problems, we who've generated all of them? Those are his words, not mine. It's true, right? So, okay, we are losing trust, but we must trust. And we actually do trust, but often not in the God who is worthy of our trust, who is steadfast and reliable in a way that our gut or intuition could never be and infallible in the way that no institution could ever dream of. But how can we know that he is steadfast and reliable and worthy? I wouldn't suggest just because I've said so. Why is God worthy of our trust? Let's take a look. Why can we trust God? Dr. Henry Cloud is a Christian psychologist I've been listening to lately. He did that Boundaries book that's like forever on the bestseller list at Korong, yes. Um, Anyway, I've been listening to him lately. He says that two of the things that are required for humans to trust someone else are expertise and empathy. We tend to want both, not just one or the other. I have a friend who a few years ago was navigating a particular chronic illness and they managed to get an appointment and a surgery with the number one doctor in the field of that illness in the place where they lived. And initially there was such high levels of trust uh, kind of extended to this doctor because of their reputation and their qualification. But eventually after the surgery that trust was lost by their lack of empathy and care and attentiveness to my friend as a human being who was going through something really you know, physically and emotionally painful, which is an example of how we tend to want expertise and empathy in order to trust someone who knows and someone who cares. That is who God is. Firstly, he knows. If the triune God is real and true, then that means his word is, is real and true. And it teaches us that he engineered this, this world, this universe. Yes, it has been broken and corrupted, but the original beautiful design is still his. And everything in it that is good and redemptive comes from him, whether he gets the credit for it or not. We read about that in the book of James. So the maker, architect, designer of anything is always the expert, right? I can study an, inv an invention all I like. I can even become an expert in it, but I will never understand it the way that the inventor will. So if God engineered the universe and he understands it better than anyone could, it follows that what he says and teaches about it is true, yeah. is reality. When he says, I can give you rest for your souls, that is true. When he says he loves us, it's true. When Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, those things may not always appear to be true when we look around at the brokenness of the world, but if God is who he says he is, they are true. Yeah. Perhaps on a deeper level of reality, that superficial living and the pursuit of kind of cultural success will never allow us to recognise. And of course, we can exist in this world without engaging with God's version of reality, but we will only recognise and experience the fullness of abundant life that he made for us. Note, this is always primarily internal and not material. If we choose to trust that his version of reality is also the reality of the universe. God knows. And also, God cares. He is not a detached expert with no compassion like my friend's doctor. 
You might have heard that Hebrew scripture about how Jesus is our high priest who's able to empathise with our weaknesses because he was tempted but he didn't sin. If we take that to the original language, we'll see that the translation for empathise literally means co-suffer. Daryl Johnson says it like this. There he is, God to the rescue at Golgotha, where they crucified Jesus, nails being pounded into his hands and feet, flesh rolling as they drop his cross into the holding place. There he is, the one who knew no sin, becoming sin and absorbing in himself all that sin justly deserves. There he is dying, God dying. There he is in the stone cold darkness and silence we call death. This reminds us that the living God fully identifies with the real world. That is why we can trust Him when He speaks to us. He not only knows what He is talking about, He knows what it means to live it out in our world. The living God knows what it means to be human. God feels the realities of life on this planet. God knows and God cares. He is worthy of our trust. Okay, you with me? Yep, okay. Trust is difficult but necessary. We give it whether we realise it or not, but God is the only one worthy, the only one who will come up with the goods when we place our trust in Him. So the biggest question, the most important part, how do we do it? How do we trust God? Before we get practical, I just want to address one misconception that kind of floats around about trust in God. There's this idea that trusting God is blind optimism. And I think that outside the church, it often takes a form of criticism, like, you know, how can you blindly trust a being that calls himself good when there's so much pain in the world kind of thinking. And, but within the church, a bit different, it often looks like this internal pressure that we put on ourselves to muster up the goods and just be positive all the time, because that must be what trust looks like. There's actually a professor, an atheist professor named Paul Bogosian, who published a book saying that religious belief should be categorised as some sort of mental disorder because it's essentially trust without evidence. That's an oversimplification of his argument, and I'm not trying to disparage him. He's definitely a lot smarter than I am. But I, I mention his perspective because a lot of people hold this view, and it's tragic. It's tragic when people hold that outside of the faith, but it's even more tragic when sometimes Christians hold this view. Not the mental disorder part, but the trust without evidence part. It's this idea that we need to just have blind optimism all the time, and that equals faith or trust in God. The gospel runs so, so, so much deeper than that. God is not asking us for unsubstantiated trust. Like maybe this idea comes from that Corinthians verse that says we walk by faith and not by sight, which is beautiful. Um, I think it's helpful to just note that the opposite of faith here is sight, not knowledge or evidence. Faith is not trusting something for which there is no evidence. Faith is trusting something we can't see, but based on evidence and living as if it's true. The gospel runs so much deeper than just like crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. We can't see God, but we can know Him. And we have so much evidence of His goodness. We have the whole library of scripture. We have 2,000 years of church history. We have the stories in each other's lives, the stories in our own. And the consistent pattern throughout the whole thing is that things will go wrong in a broken world. Humans will fail to be faithful, but no matter what, God will be steadfast in his faithfulness, consistent in his love, and bring redemption through his kingdom. As Elton Trueblood put it, faith is not belief without truth, but trust without reservations. God is not asking us to be perpetually optimistic. He's asking us to trust Him wholeheartedly. 
Okay, so how? How do we do it? Let's go back to our story with Moses and the rock. So God told Moses to take his rod but speak to the rock and it would produce water. Moses, who was presumably tired and frustrated after almost 40 years, lectured the people who were questioning his authority and struck the rock twice. This was direct disobedience to what God had said. The water still comes out in abundance, but God says, because you did not trust me enough, you won't enter the promised land. So could we make an argument here that maybe before God rebuked Moses, he could have walked away thinking that he was in the right and it was okay? I think that's reasonable because after all, it worked, right? The thing happened, the water flowed and everyone drank. The people absolutely would have thought that Moses did the right thing because it worked. But the point here is that what works is not the true measure of what is faithful to God. And what works is not the true measure of trust. Just because it works, just because we manage to start dating or manage to get married, just because we get the pay rise, just because we get the leadership position, just because we buy the house or move up the ladder at work or just because people seem to like and respect us, that doesn't mean that we have been faithful to God. And I think this is kind of the underlying atheism in the Western church and in my own heart and maybe in yours, this subconscious belief that if I can get the outcome I desire by whatever means, especially if it's a good and godly desire, good and godly outcome, even if it involves ignoring how God has called me to live, then I still win. But that's a lie. Before God, it's a lie. Now, I'm definitely not saying that being faithful to God means things don't work or won't work. Please do not hear that. So often they do because of his kindness and favour. I'm just saying the outcome is not necessarily an indicator of trust. As Nijay Gupta says, it is not that I trust God, it's not that I trust that God will make it work out the way that I want, but that I will be found faithful in all the ways that matter most. And this is what I mean by trust in God is choosing to live in faithfulness to Him no matter what. No matter what. It's what Moses failed to do in that moment. And the consequence devastated him. Yes, he achieved the desired outcome. The water flowed from outside. It looked great, but he missed the fullness of what God wanted to give him. Now, this is just an opinion, but I think it is valid. If Moses had only known what he was toying with by choosing a moment of unfaithfulness, not making it to the promised land, I don't think he would have ever given it up. It was in no way worth it. And I do not want to be found in a spot where I build a life that ticks all of the boxes on the outside, but was not faithful to God on the inside and got this close to what he really had for me. If I'm honest, I feel like since I hit my mid-twenties, my life has just consisted of a series of exposings of, that's not even a word, but, you know, exposings of all the ways that I thought I trusted God and then found out I actually didn't. Thank goodness for His grace and His mercy and He is sticking with me. Um, For the visual people, put it a different way, the, the chair. This is a classic example. This has been preached before. This is a picture of someone sitting in a chair. Hopefully, great. Um, Now, in this scenario, the chair is trustworthy because it's holding the person up, right? The chair is the trustworthy one in the scenario. But then the person sitting in the chair is putting trust in the chair that it will hold them up. 
So whilst the chair is the trustworthy one, the person demonstrates their trust of the chair's trustworthiness by sitting in it. Is that making sense? Do we see the connection? God is the trustworthy one. We are not trustworthy. We are fallible. We are flawed. We are inconsistent. But we can be found trusting by His grace and empowerment when we choose to demonstrate His trustworthiness by trusting Him. Let me say it less kind of theoretically. We demonstrate the faith, the trustworthiness of God when we give financially, because we know that Jesus taught us to be generous, choosing to trust that we will be richer for it in His reality, even if we have less dollars in our bank account. We demonstrate the trustworthiness of God when we go on the journey of forgiving someone who has unequivocally wronged us, choosing to trust that following Jesus' teaching of forgiveness is more important than retribution or nursing our wound. We demonstrate the trustworthiness of God when we don't tell a lie that literally nobody would ever know about and would preserve our reputation, choosing to trust that our integrity before God is worth more than our reputation before man. We demonstrate the trustworthiness of God when we practice gratitude for what we do have in a culture obsessed with what we don't have, choosing to trust that contentment can be found in God regardless of our state of material wealth. We demonstrate the trustworthiness of God when we live like every moment here matters in eternity and faithfulness in any moment is worth more than our instant gratification. Are we tracking? Look, that that was pretty intense. So this is probably a good moment to remind ourselves that integrity is not living something perfectly, but wrestling faithfully. We wrestle to trust God with our whole hearts and to be found faithful in every moment. One of my favourite verses in the whole of the Bible is Mark 9.24, where a man brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus and says, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And the, and the man straight away says, Mark 9.24, I do believe, help my unbelief. I love that so much because it teaches us that trust is not an either or, it's not a dichotomy. We don't either trust God completely or not at all. I would actually put that anyone who says they trust God 100% is probably at worst lying and at best a bit unself-aware. Because we often don't even know the ways that we don't trust God until they're revealed through adversity or until the thing is taken away. We can trust and not trust enough at the same time. That is okay. God wants to help us with that. One of my most frequent prayers is, God, I trust you. Help me to live like it's true. What do I mean by that? I mean, I I do fully trust Him with my worldview. I trust that whatever He says is true and that what He says He will do, He will do. And I do believe that being faithful to Him is the best thing I could do in any moment. But I also know that I will be consciously and subconsciously tempted to make hundreds of compromises every single day. Tempted to consume more entertainment than is healthy rather than connect with God. Tempted to spend more money than is appropriate on things I don't actually need rather than steward what I have before Him. Tempted to present this glittering facade of being more put together or more successful or more righteous to the world than I actually am rather than coming to Him for healing in the quiet. Tempted to be found unfaithful. As uh, John Mark Comer says, faithfulness and obedience is not primarily just doing what you want to do and Jesus happens to agree with you, which, by the way, can happen very easily when we've built a comfortable life in church community. But the test of faithfulness, of true trust, is when we do what Jesus teaches, even when we don't agree or understand it. Love your enemy. 
the greatest among you is your servant. Honour your mother and father. You cannot serve both God and wealth. Seek first the kingdom of God. Take up your cross daily and die to your selfishness. Like Jesus. <laughs> really trusting God with our whole lives, relinquishing control is when we live our day in, day out lives. Not necessarily believing God for a particular outcome, though that is great, there is a place for that, but where we're just believing God. Believing that what He says is true is true. That what He says is real is real. It's where God is not the means to the end of getting the life we want. It's where God is the end in Himself. Where the life we want is more of Him, however it looks and in whichever circumstance it's found. It's not blind optimism that everything will be great, but a quiet confidence that whatever will be, Jesus is with me and He is better than the greatest thing I could dream up or even imagine. The realest and truest trust in God is choosing faithfulness to Him no matter what. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.